Before we move into the show today, ActionDesk is the easiest way for startup teams to make better decisions with their data. With most uh, business intelligence tools on the markets, you have to write SQL or learn a clunky interface. Tableau, Metabase, and the likes are powerful but complex to use. Exploring data and building new reports require a level of expertise beyond most business users, and it's not worth the time of engineering and data teams. ActionDesk makes exploring your database or data warehouses data easy. If you know how to use Google Sheets or Excel, you'll know how to use ActionDesk. Instead of uh, writing SQL, you can just use spreadsheet formulas. That is exactly what I really like about ActionDesk. You can access your data in a spreadsheet and give autonomous access to the company data to any business user in a no-code tool. If you're in operations, marketing, sales, or customer support and have a question about your business, instead of asking your engineering or data team, just answer the question yourself with ActionDesk and a few spreadsheet formula. With ActionDesk, you can answer in a few minutes questions like how much revenue did we have yesterday? What's our sales breakdown by region or supplier? How many deals entered a specific deal stage last week? How many customer requests take more than 58 hours to respond to? You will definitely love ActionDesk for its spreadsheet feel. You can try and test different things run small-scale analysis and access all of your database and data warehouse data live. Most of all, you will love the feeling of flexibility and power it gives you. So if you want to save time to analyze your data and make better decisions for your business, head to actiondesk.io to enjoy two months free and tell that you're coming from upcoming VC. Um, so hi uh, everyone, I'm Bruno. I'm the uh, co-founder and uh, managing partner at FIRST, which is a seed fund focused on the French ecosystem and dedicated on the French founders building global scale companies. Yeah, I can go next. Hey, I'm Matthias, uh, based uh, out of Berlin. I'm a partner at Speed Invest and I manage our focus fund, Speed Invest Network Effects. So we focus on all things, marketplaces, platforms, and their enabling technologies focused on uh, pre-seed and seed investments. And uh, as you as you can see, I've already used the, the word focused, I think three times in the last sentence. So big, big topic for us and, and glad to be here today. And I think Alice is back or maybe not. Let's see. I think maybe we can just kick it off and start talking yeah. about focus yeah. between us. Let's just- Yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm back. Um, I am joining by phone. Go ahead. Maybe you had a very interesting angle on what, what focus is for you as a, as a founder and company builder that you, you, you shared yesterday when we spoke. Um, absolutely. No, so yesterday we had a, a discussion together around what focus meant for each of us. And I was, I was talking about how it had been important for us to kind of keep the direction as we were building Kaiko in the absence of an addressable market. Um, we had a very strong vision that we would uh, address a world where financial institutions and capital markets participants start needing data on cryptocurrencies and kind of blockchain-based assets. And, and honestly, crypto was a very retail space until relatively recently. Um, and in order to need data to run backtesting or to test trading strategies or to run kind of arbitrage strategies across exchanges, you need to have a very professional investment um, kind of a thesis, right? Um, it, retail people don't need to run a backtesting before they make a decision for buying anything, actually. Um, so we've always been building the company in order to address institutions. And, and we've been the company building the company for six years before 2020 until we kind of started seeing the emergence of that segment of the market. Uh, it's now paying off. 
uh, very well. But but we were talking about that and how kind of it's good that we didn't pivot uh, over those first six years. On the other hand, focus cannot be the enemy of agility and of the ability to just adapt to, you know, at some point make a uh, a statement that is okay maybe that market will just never come or will take another 15 years so at what point do you differentiate focus from kind of stubbornness and rigidity so we were talking about on those lines and and, and i think it, it's very hard for entrepreneurs because you have to sell your vision you have to be so sure of it but then you still have to be able to pivot opportunistically if there is a real reason for it so i think in that sense also for you focus was very much around, around the, the topic and topic your, and your you go to market i'm hearing myself sorry i just said that it was a lot around kind of you go to market and your first um users basically and your first potential customers and your target audience basically that that was how you basically defined focus for yourself at the very beginning and then uh, to basically while you were working on your uh, mvp i guess on product market fit on uh, on developing uh, Kaiko, uh, that was probably your then your kind of guiding principle uh, when it comes to focus, I guess. Absolutely, and also you know it's sometimes it's hard to not be a little bit more opportunistic and kind of address the existing market with something uh, rather than kind of keep building for something else. And so it's really striking the right balance between surviving, right? You need to manage your cash, so you need to make some revenue uh, in in you know until you basically to bid your time until your market comes, and, and while still building and prepping for the future because we've invested a lot in kind of addressing this institutional market and this is paying off now. But I don't think that if we had focused on a different segment in the past, it would have yielded the same results today on that front. Yeah, it's very hard to actually then know when to call it quits, right? I guess that would probably be a very pressing question from a lot of people from the audience, because when is it still good to be kind of perseverant and continue to yeah, hold on to it? And when do you call it quits and say, okay, uh, it was enough now, I need to try something else, right? Absolutely. And also like before even quitting, just showing doubts to your team, you know, like when you're a founder, you kind of have to uh, em em embody a little bit the vision that you've sold, not only to your investors, but also to your employees, right? When you hire some people from traditional companies and to join an early stage startup, they need to, you need to convince them. And so you can't really show doubts in your decision and your focus um, in, in the process, at least until you've made a proper decision that this is not going to happen anymore. Um, but, but I think you've said something really interesting. I, I think it was you, Matthias, yesterday around the culture of focus. It's not just about the founder's focus. It's also about giving your team the ability to focus on their own things. And, and I really loved that, that comment and, and the way yeah. you phrased it. I think as a, just to, to reiterate on this, I think as a, especially as a founder or as a team lead, right? It's not just about your own focus or it's maybe more about thinking about what is the focus of the company and then make sure that everyone actually has the time and the freedom, so to say, to pursue the, that focus and pursue their focus, right? To actually empower people, enable people to do that uh, and to be able to focus then on maybe on one subsegment, right? If you think about, I don't know, uh, OKRs, for example, or V2 moms, whatever concept you are using to set goals, then everyone has their goals, their focus and make sure that then this also fits all together like a, a puzzle basically uh, to then one big uh, big focus basically one big picture 
uh, and everyone is contributing to that and set up the team for success so they can actually do that, right? And I think you maybe as a founder, as a, as a CEO, you probably just work a lot on actually giving people that freedom to focus, which might not feel like having focus yourself, right? But then actually your team to have that kind of focus and actually do that and work towards that vision. Yeah, this is also something we discussed, right? It, I find it incredibly hard to make some proper deep work time. Uh, I, I tried different kinds of hacks, like blocking fake meetings in my calendar that was clearly called like, you know, work or sometimes I, I literally, I block meetings and they're called work on stuff. <laughs> and like, still I end up with calls in the middle of that. I, I find it extremely hard. And there's so many little things to do constantly that, that this is such a precious thing. And also yet, you know, very hard to find this time where you're dedicated to thinking and not just dedicated to responding to emails or actually just acting and taking decisions. Um, and yeah. I, I'll jump in right now, just uh, Matt, Matt, yes, I think you said something super interesting uh, and I'm, I'm back, hopefully it works. Sorry again about that. Um, you mentioned that one of, a job, one of your job as a CEO um, is to convey focus to the rest of the team. And you mentioned OKRs to do that as a really good way. I'm curious for um, for Ambre or um, Bruno in your experience as well. What other ways have you found CEOs to be able to um, to convey focus? Ambre, do you want to get started on how you do that to, to for your team to know what they need to be working on? Yeah, so we've we've definitely put in place uh, OKRs um, that we kind of review on a monthly basis. Uh, even that is hard. It's it's uh, also striking a right balance between how many how much monitoring you do because monitoring comes kind of in deduction to your work time, right? So sometimes we spend hours making OKRs, reviewing OKRs, and, and you know, it's something that is also very time consuming. Yesterday we were talking about also kind of in reporting to investors, like as a, as a founder, you end up spending a lot of time doing reporting and monitoring things and following OKRs and tracking financials and all of these things. And that takes what, 20% of the time of a, of a founder, like it's actually non-negligible. And, and so it's really striking a balance between the tools that are going to enable you to enable focus um, versus actually just taking more time off for kind of managerial things that are definitely important. But if people are crushed by reporting, they end up just doing more reporting than their actual job and having to kind of make up numbers. I, and honestly, like by make up numbers, I'm not talking about lying, right? But always putting things in the best possible light and spending way too much time thinking about how you're doing your slides versus how you're actually going to do your job, right? And so I, I've also seen that. I, I come from the traditional world of banking where there was a lot of reporting a lot of like huge files that we need to do for risk and compliance and like plenty of different committees in order to do jobs. And we were spending like getting the deal done from a client perspective was probably 20% of the job. And then 80% was convincing internal stakeholders. And all of that was time taken off doing business. And, and so I really think that there is uh, a kind of teamwork that needs to be done from the also the investor side and the management side and not crushing people that are actually hands-on client facing by kind of too much reporting and OKRs and tracking performances, but it's really hard. It, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. We know on your end, are you also seeing OKR as the, the main way for your, the, the CEOs you work with to keep focus? Or are you seeing other ways to do that as well? Well, I think there are two, like a, a good side and a bad side on, on OKRs. And, and, and I'm speaking obviously from the standpoint of uh, investing in seed and pre-seed companies. 
And on many accounts from my experience, what we've seen uh, is like in the past, many investors and, and also entrepreneurs, because it was a culture, were looking at seed and pre-seed companies as minuscule versions of Series A and Series B startups. And so they were reinventing uh, mini, mini versions of every process that was, that was available in big companies and, and applying it to the seed phase. And, 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 and actually, the really nice thing to do is to strip everything you do to the bone and, 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 and re keep removing things. So possibly keep removing OKRs, keep removing processes, keep removing reporting, and, and then just rebuild with the minimum, minimum level of information and, and management and guidance you need to just to deliver on your uh, pre-seed and, and seed targets. Also keeping in mind that, you know, there are many unicorn startups that, that took 10 years from the day one to the IPO. And then that actually started with other businesses and the, uh, the business IPO ways. So you need to also be open to exploration and not being too uh, imprisoned in your uh, initial goals and targets that you've been setting for three months and that maybe the next day are just totally uh, uh, invalid. So it's, and I think it was Matthias who, who mentioned that also yesterday is, there is a, uh, in particular in seed, but actually in every single infection point for uh, companies that grow, a need to keep balancing between being laser focused on goals and, and open to exploration to identify new opportunities that are maybe even more relevant than the one you were pursuing, but without losing your uh, your your overall overarching direction. So it's uh, <laughs> it's a crazy problem solving for founders. I think it's also I think it's good also from from yesterday's discussion. We already spoke quite a bit about it, as you can see. But I, interesting to see how this evolves over stages, right? What you said about pre-seed and seed, and then as companies mature, for example, into series A, B, and so on, I think focus also changes or the meaning of focus also changes, right? Before, it's really more about maybe uh, do one thing and do it really well. Uh, and then it's maybe more about actually optimization on specific topics and really focus on go deep on one topic maybe, right? When you can actually afford it because you have a bigger team, because you have people that can do that and you have more resources to cover multiple topics, right? Before it's really maybe only about really one topic, really do solve one problem really, really well, do that and then kind of expand from there. And then when you are at that stage in series A, B and so on, then you want to maybe hone in more on one topic. Then it's more about optimization. Then actually it's not maybe less creativity in a way that you maybe need at the beginning. This episode is an excerpt from the full episode that you can find at summit.runwayseries.co summit.runwayseries.co